turn in them to Gospel of Mark once again. Gospel of Mark. This week I had to um, I had to cancel my Facebook. I just couldn't take it. So, uh, but before I did on my uh, wall, if you know what that is, that's fine. If you don't, that's okay too. Um, for preachers, we get all this stuff on our wall about um, how to be a better preacher, and I've talked to you all about some of those things before, but this week in particular was, what do we say, what do we say on Sunday morning from the pulpit uh, after a week like this? Um, well, I have, uh, I have some thoughts about that, about what we say, but let me say this, I'm going to say exactly what I say every week, because the reality is that the week, this week in particular, has done nothing but but reveal who we have been the entire time. There's nothing different about this week as opposed to last week. Sin is still very much uh, here. Sin is still very much uh, in place in the in the hearts of men. And the only remedy that we really have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to preach once again the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Uh, and and in particular, Mark is suitable as a book of the Bible for us because remember his original audience these were these were people that were new Christians suffering persecution by the hand of their government suffering oppression and injustice because they dared call be called by the name of Jesus Christ and they would have understood the kind of suffering that we see in the world and the kind of hatred and the kind of uh, things that we are seeing on the nightly news night after night after night well, let me read this for us, and then we'll jump in, and I'll, I'll do an introduction and then all of that stuff. So let me read this for you. This is Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Hear God's good and kind word for you this morning. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and from Idumea and from beyond the Jordan from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready, for because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the clean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountains, and they called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boadrenes, that is, son of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this morning this word. We pray that you would help us to see your glory and your grace in it, and that we would understand even greater today the gospel of Jesus Christ, or maybe for the first time that we would hear the sweet message of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for calling us to this place, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to transform us, to make us more like your Son. 
pray it in Christ's name. Amen. This week I was talking to Daniel after the events of everything that was happening, and I was trying to understand what younger people are thinking whenever they get involved with activism. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, people who are Daniel's age and, and younger and a few that are a little bit older, they are very activist-minded. Uh, they're, they're, there's always a cause for them to go after, a cause to get behind. And I was curious about why that is, and he, his response was very perceptive. He says that he, he said that it was because people ultimately want to feel like they belong to a group. They want identity. I thought that was very perceptive because it's true that all of us want to belong somewhere. All of us want to feel like we're a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And so for younger, younger generations, they get involved in causes. Uh, you know, many people are involved in church, and that's a good thing for them to be a part of a church or, or maybe civic organizations. Uh, but everywhere you turn, people are trying to be involved in a community. And the Internet actually... Uh, even though it distances us from other people because we can sit behind a computer screen and say and do what we want, uh, often what you find are people going to places like Facebook because they want community, they want to belong, they want friends, they want lots and lots of friends, and they want friends to know how great their life is and how wonderful the things they're doing are and all of these sorts of things because we want to belong somewhere. We want to feel like we're a part of it. We want a community. Well, Jesus came to build a community. But it's a new community, not based on any previous identities and not on anything else that we would recognize as community. It's not based on nationality. It's not based on language. It's not based on race or economics. But it's based upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here is our great hope. Because in Christ, our identity and all of those other superficial things that literally only go skin deep are taken away. In Christ, we have something that is substantial and more than superficial. Because we have come to our eternal home, our eternal resting place in Jesus Christ. You and I recognize that our world is a mess. Our families are broken. Our lives are unsatisfied. But the great news is we're going to see in this passage is that there's a better home. There's an eternal home and there's eternal security. Uh, I want to look at this passage in three ways so that we can see this new community. We're going to see the crushing crowds in verses 7 through 10. We're going to see the distracting demons in verses 11 and 12. And then we're going to see the appointed apostles. So very quickly I want to look at the crushing crowds. Jesus is growing in popularity all the way through in verses or chapters 1 and 2. We saw that Jesus and his popularity grew and grew and grew, mostly because he would heal somebody or he would do something fantastic. And people would come and they would want to be close to Jesus. So Jesus, in his, uh, his ministry, popularity is growing. And, and that stands in stark contrast to what we read in verse uh, 6 of chapter 3. Real quick, look at that. We read this last week, but the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with him, uh, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Uh, the leaders here, the, the religious leaders, the moral, the righteous, the upright, the, the self-righteous, the Pharisees, what everyone, everyone else in this day would have said were the good guys, are seeking with the Herodians their sworn enemies, 
to destroy Jesus. So, so the Pharisees are getting along with the Herodians, the people that are loyal to Herod. They're getting along. They're trying to destroy Jesus. And yet Jesus and his popularity is growing. People are coming from all over. The, those uh, places that are mentioned from Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and beyond the Jordan, Tyre and Sidon. That's north, south, east and west from all over the place. Not just the little central area of Galilee, but from all over. People are coming. They're, they're rushing to Jesus. They're trying to get close And Jesus is reversing everything. The religious leaders, the good guys, are pushed out. They're to the outside, and yet all of the the people of the world, the the unwashed masses, the despised things of the world, the disabled, the people that would have been pushed out to the edges of society are brought in next to Jesus. So the social outcasts take the center stage. But there's not all good news Because they're coming for all the wrong reasons. These crowds are pushing into Jesus, but they weren't coming to listen to the message that he preached. And remember, Jesus says, I came to preach a message primarily, not to heal, not to meet people's needs, but to preach a message. And yet the people are coming not to listen to that message, but to simply be healed. They were coming to get their needs met. Now, don't get me wrong, as we've seen over and over in the Gospel of Mark, they had some big needs. They had pressing needs. They had very uh, very uh, kind of disfiguring needs, physical needs, special needs of all sorts. And we understand why they would want their physical needs met. We, we understand that. How many times this week have you prayed, Lord, fix our nation, because we think that's what we ultimately need. But the problem is... It's too easy to see important things, but to miss the most important thing. It's too easy to be distracted by the felt needs of the day to see the more important thing, and that is to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what's interesting here. Look look at verse 9. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowds, lest they came to crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. The people that came to Jesus in order to get a healing, what happened? Jesus ran away from them. He fled from them. Jesus is elusive. Isn't that interesting? We think, well, Jesus, why not just stand there and let them all come by in a single file line and and just touch you and then all of their needs will be met. But Jesus says, if you come to me... Only seeking to have your needs met, I'm going to flee from you. I'm going to run away from you. Because he did not come to meet our physical needs. If, um, and he knows this. This is something that's going to occur over, over and over and over. Um, whenever Jesus heals someone, oftentimes the response is, Great, I have all my needs met. And what did they do? They left. They rejected him. So Jesus understands that. He's willing for you and I to suffer in order to have a greater sense of our great need from him. So why have you come? Why have you come this morning? Why are you here? Are you here merely to have something in your life fixed? Because that's why the crowds came. They wanted their life fixed and they missed it. Jesus was elusive. Jesus left them. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss it. You have a greater need than having your physical needs met. You have a greater need than having your family fixed. You have a greater need than having wealth or security. 
in anything in this world. You need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And he has come to save us from our sins. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. So that's the first thing we see is the crushing crowds. Now quickly, I want you to see uh, the distracting demons in verses 11 and 12. Uh, And so Mark once again introduces us to the demons. This is now the fourth time in basically two chapters where demons are introduced, demons are talked about. One, we saw a direct encounter with the demon, uh, but here he mentions it again, just in passing, that apparently lots and lots of people were coming with demons and what what was happening. Well, when a demon would come and, uh, you know, they would possess a person and come to Jesus, the demon would cry out. They would say, you are the son of God. And then Jesus would silence the demon. There are demons everywhere in the account of Mark. Why does he constantly mention the demons? Well, he wants us to see the opposition that Jesus faced. The religious leaders want him destroyed. In verse 6 we saw this. The crowds want to crush him. But oddly enough, what do the demons do? The demons want to reveal who Jesus is. Notice that. The demons are here. The only ones that know who Jesus is, or who Jesus truly is, are the demons. They have great theology. You are the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? The leaders don't know. The disciples at this point really don't know. And the crowds don't know and don't care. But the demons are everywhere saying, you are the Son of God, you are the Son of God, you are the Son of God. The demons want to reveal who Jesus is. That's strange, isn't it? Well, you need to understand something, and this is what we need to know that Mark is trying to get, get across to us, that the darkness knows the light. The demons know who's in charge. And we don't need to be surprised when we live in a world of darkness, when the darkness retaliates against the light. That's what we see every single day, some days more than others. And we need to be encouraged Mark is telling the original audience of these Roman Christians, look, you are under persecution. There are demonic forces and spiritual forces at work behind everything that you see. And we need to understand what their strategy truly is. Their strategy and the strategy of the demonic forces, and this is still the strategy today, is to distract us from who Jesus really is. And they do it in a variety of ways. They want to reveal, in this way, they want to reveal who Jesus is before Jesus is ready for it. You understand what they're trying to do? They're trying to say, Jesus, we have authority over you. We're going to tell everyone who you are before you're ready. They want to bring attention to Jesus in order to slow him down. And they want to distract from the message. Because Jesus, who is the Son of God, is there to save people from their sin to make peace with God through his blood, and yet everyone in this day thought the Messiah was going to come, and his primary purpose was to kick out the Romans, to to expel them from from, uh, Israel. But, But that's not why he came. And so we need to understand that that is what the demons do. They will try to distract us from Jesus by revealing and giving us partial truths in order to take away our focus. Over and over in the scriptures you see that. Acts chapter 16, 
uh, verses 16 and 18, there's this really kind of hilarious encounter between Jesus and a slave girl who is possessed by a demon. The slave girl is uh, being exploited by her master. She can tell the future. Well, they go into the city, and Paul and Silas are going around sharing the gospel. Well, the slave girl who is controlled by the demon is following right behind Paul, and over and over and over he says, These men are here to tell you about the way of salvation. Listen to these men. They're here to tell you about the way of salvation. They have eternal life to give to you. Listen to their message. And so she's saying things that are true, but she's doing it in a way where no one is listening to Paul, they're listening to her. And so we're told that Paul gets annoyed, and after a few days of listening to this, he gets annoyed and says, demon, come out of her. Okay? He stops the, the, the demon from telling the message that was true. And here's what we need to understand about this. Jesus will not allow anyone to do anything outside of the time that he wants for them to do it. Jesus is over even the dark spiritual forces of the world. So be encouraged by that. Uh, One of the things that you and I need to recognize is that demonic forces will oftentimes and most likely will present themselves in, in ways that look good, that look appealing, that look nice, that look friendly. I would say that there are more demons in American churches than there are gospel preachers because... The reality is that that people stand up and pastors will stand up and tell you that what you need to do is to be a good and nice and gentle and kind person and God will let you into heaven, but nothing is further from the truth. Demons will tell you that all you've got to do is just be a little bit good and God will accept your best, but he will not accept your best. He will accept nothing less than the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Don't be distracted by good things. I want you to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And any message that comes that says you're good enough is a lie from the pit of hell. Do not believe it. Don't be distracted by the message of the demons. The same ploy is being used today. The same ploy is out there to distract you from the glory of Jesus Christ, to have you forget the message of his person and work for you, the message that says you cannot do it, but he did it. Trust in him. The same ploy is used today. Expect it. But then also be encouraged because Jesus has not stepped down from his throne. He's still in charge. When you woke up today, Jesus didn't wake up and say, okay, I guess I'll be king today. He was king all through last night. He was king all through this week. He's been king since before the creation of the world into eternity past. Jesus is still in charge. Be encouraged. Finally, I want you to see, and this is the most important thing for us today, in verses 13 through 19, the apostles that he appointed, the appointed apostles. Notice in verse 13, and he went up on the mountain. Now that's a big deal. We don't have time to unpack all the things that that means. But in the Bible, as you go through, anytime somebody goes up on a mountain, something really important is going to happen. As a matter of fact, when God made a covenant with his people, where was he? He was up on the mountain. He called Abraham to come up on top of a mountain to slaughter Isaac. He called Moses to go up on top of a mountain. Over and over and over, it's on top of a mountain whenever God makes a covenant with his people, whenever he creates a relationship, when he calls them to be his and promises that he will be their God over and over, it's up on a mountain. So Jesus here is going up on a mountain, and what we see is that he's going to create a new covenant community. Jesus goes up on the mountain. And he's making his new covenant people. 
And over and over in this passage, we see the whole point is Jesus's, his, uh, his right to choose. Look at what it says at the end of verse 13. And he called to them those whom he desired. He called to them those whom he desired. That's important for us because you and I need to understand who does Jesus Christ choose to be on his team? Guy Waters, one of my professors from seminary, says, it's not the choice but the chosen. He does not choose the choice. Who does he choose? He chooses men like Peter and James and John and Philip and Andrew and Bartholomew and Thaddeus and Matthew. He chooses men like this. And guess what? He chooses men and women like us, to be on his team. He does not choose the choice, but he chooses us. The point is, is the focus is on Jesus and his choice. He doesn't choose the great things of the world. He doesn't choose the wise ones of the world. He doesn't choose the best and the brightest. That's good news, because we're not the best and the brightest. I know, I'm looking at you, and y'all are a pretty sad bunch. And guess what? You're looking at me, and I'm even worse. And yet, Jesus has called us to be a part of his team. And we're told this, verse, uh, verse uh, 14, and he appointed 12. And then later on, we're told again in verse 16, he appointed the 12. That word appointed means made. It's the word made. He made them apostles. You see, they weren't extra gifted beforehand. They weren't already doing the work of the apostle. Jesus made them apostles because apart from Jesus making them something, they would not have done anything for themselves. He didn't call the already gifted, but he gifted the ones that he called. And I, when I think about this, I think about the Lord of the Rings. I, always, I mean, I'm constantly thinking about the Lord of the Rings and those great and wonderful hobbits the the real the hobbits are the, the they're the um, the heroes of every story right I mean it's the short guys that always do the the hardest work and the best work but but if you read through the through the story of the Lord of the Rings nobody wants the hobbits but you know Gandalf selects the hobbits to be part of the original twelve to take the ring into Mordor into the heart of evil and everyone's like them ah why would you choose them and I'm like because they're short they can do it. They can fit in under the rocks and do all those things. But, but why does Gandalf choose them? Because it's not about them. It's not about them, and that's the whole point. Why would you pick them? Why would Jesus pick you? Well, he didn't pick you because there's anything good in you or anything special in you. He picked you because he wanted you. It's about his choice. But we do see here that they have a specific calling as apostles. The word apostle means sent ones. They're the ones that he sends out. And what are they going to do? Well, the first thing that they're going to do, we see, is that they're going to preach the gospel. He has this message that he's preaching. And they're going to be the first, after he is resurrected from the dead, to go out and to preach the gospel. So that's what they're going to do. Secondly, we're told that he gives them authority to cast out demons. Well, it's authority over the spiritual and even the physical world that they can do miracles, all for the sake of showing that Jesus is the one in charge of the spiritual world. So he, he, wants, them to, he wants for there to be nothing to hinder the spread of the gospel. And if you read through that incredible book of Acts, and I encourage you to read through it, you see that nothing hinders the spread of the gospel. And guess what? Nothing today is hindering the spread of the gospel 
There is not one single thing that Satan or any man under heaven can come up with to stop the progress of the march of heaven because Jesus Christ is still the one on the throne and he's still having his message proclaimed in places like this today. Be encouraged by that. But we also see something even greater than that. The very first thing that he says, he says he named them so that they might be with him. These apostles are called to be with him. Jesus. Well, that's a special calling of the apostles. That's a calling to be a witness and a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I weren't there. We need somebody else to be there to see it. And they saw it and they testified to the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And we know that there are other others. There are 12 apostles and then 500 others that saw Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We have a testimony. We have a witness so that we know this is the truth. So that we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to save sinners from their sin. You can hope in him. You can trust in him. But it's also the calling that we have to be with Jesus. That is, as a matter of fact, the message of the gospel. To be with Jesus Christ. The calling is not to do good or to be better, but to be with Jesus. All right, so there's a few things that we learn from this. Jesus takes these men, and especially we're told here, Peter and James and John, he gives them new names. He changes their identity. Everyone would have called Peter or Simon, you know, Simon back the sailor, the fisherman. Uh, all of the things that he did, the guy that was rash and, and just rushed in head first and didn't think about anything before he did it, a lot like some of you here, he changed his name from Simon to Peter. He went from the guy that wasn't the rock to Peter the rock. He changed his identity. And then the sons of thunder, uh, likely, well, I won't go into that, but he changed their name to the sons of thunder. Every person who is called by Christ has a new name. Your name is no longer the name that your parents gave you, but your name is Christian. Your name is Little Christ. He has changed your name. He has changed your identity. He has made you your own. And not only that, look at this. He, he calls these men to be with him, to be part of a new family. He brings us into his family. And, and we don't have time to look at all of these names and the various things that are involved with them. But, but you understand that that Peter and Andrew, brothers, had a fishing uh, um, a business that they competed with James and John in the same village. They would have known each other, right? So they would have been fighting with each other and competing with each other to get the most money in their pockets with their fishing. And so, But Jesus says, you're now in the same family. And then he takes other people. There's a name here, Simon the, the Cananean. In the book of Acts, we're told that his, he has another name, Simon the Zealot. The zealots were people that were physically violent, that, that would go and murder Roman soldiers and anyone who aligned themselves with the Romans. And God called that kind of man to be in his family a murderer. All right? And then Simon the zealot, guess who he would have been wanting to kill? Matthew, who was Levi, the man that we saw was a tax collector. He brings them into a family because he brings different people into his family. And what we see is a great unity and diversity. He changes our identity. He gives us a new family. And I want you to look around the room. This is your family.
this is your family, not just your brothers and sisters and the people you're related to by blood, but you have a better unity, a more strong bond in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is mind-blowing. This is your new family. This is your new community. You belong. And it ends, unfortunately, on a sad note. We're told this, And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, Now, one of the things we learn from this is that there are going to be false sons in the church. That until Christ returns, there are going to be people who claim the name of Christ who are not not in Christ. And one of the things that you need to see here is that Judas was one of the twelve. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew Judas and knew what he would do. And yet, he called him to be part of of the twelve. I don't understand fully all that that means, but here it is. Judas was there. He was part of the twelve. He stuck very close to Jesus. Do you recognize that Judas was the one that the other disciples chose to to let handle the money? They trusted him. They didn't trust the, the accountant, Matthew. They trusted Judas to handle the money. And you know, you want the person to hand, that handles your money to be very trustworthy. Everyone would have looked at Judas and they probably would have said, he's the one that we really look up to. He maybe would have been very close to Jesus in everything that was happening. But he was very much like the crowds. He never heard the message of Jesus. Here's what you need to understand by this. You can be very close to Jesus. You can work for Jesus in his church. You may even handle the money. And yet, you can never really know him. There's a danger in that. There's a word of warning. What are you worshiping? Who do you worship? Do you really belong to Christ? Has he called you? Maybe he's calling you today. Maybe he's calling you today for the first time to leave all of the things of the world, to leave all the things that you used to put your identity in, your family, your money, your wealth, your success, your health, all of those things. And he's saying, leave it behind. Come, be a part of my community. Be a part of my people. Our new identity in Christ is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This world needs Jesus. So do you. So do I. Let's be about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we thank you that We have heard your gospel preached. We pray, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts this morning to trust in Jesus Christ that we would be a people who are known by the name that you have given us. That our name as Christians are not because, it's not because we have done good, but because you have done good for us and because our faith is in him. Father, we pray this in Christ's holy name.